Michelle! I have so many questions right off the bat. So there is a little bit of violence here. Is this show killing people? Like a whole bunch of people went to sleep and never woke up again. So I took the quiz. Oh, I have anxiety and depression. They're pretty bad. Yeah, I know. Thanks. Yes. I'm, I'm really jealous of people who don't have to listen to themselves all the time because I'm a lot. Is it because you're an android? Diamonds, Michelle. Okay, okay. Just feel like, you know what? I'm gonna give the kids something nice. I'm gonna give them the Yule Log. I'm so proud of us. For those of you who are like, my God, Michelle, you are too much. Chill out. It's McDonald's fault. Bad, 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 bad. Something good has to be coming. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Angriement. Hello. Happy 2022. Or have a 2022. Yeah, I say happy might be a bit of a stretch. Welcome. No, in- welcome's a bit of a stretch. This is. It's 2022 now, and we're both here, and you're also in this time period with well, us. Yeah, yes. So as you heard, we have, as Michelle promised, and I backed myself into a corner with, a new theme song. Thank you, Catherine. It's amazing. Thank you. Also, thank you to Grant, who has been a grab bag contributor and does the music. Thank you, Grant. All of that is played on his guitar and his bass. All of it. Very impressive. Get into the game. For those of you who might be listening to the 27th podcast as the first podcast, um, this is Angriement, and I'm Catherine. And I am Michelle. And every fortnight on Angriement, practice, got it this time. Got it. Yep. We bring you three things. We bring you a weird thing. A pop culture thing. And a reference research thing. <laughs> oh, I got something right and I got something wrong. A research thing. We blend it all together and try to pour it out into a neat little phrase, or at least in one case, a drawing. Yeah, yeah, we ended with a really <laughs> artistic thing. We'll try to pair back. We're going to start minimal and get maximal towards the end of the year again. I like that. Yeah. Okay, so I am very excited because, as always, I keep track of who goes first. So I go first this week, but I'm even happier to announce that this week for weird things we have a grab bag a grab bag Yes. Um, it comes to us from Benton. <gasps> Thank you, Benton. Thank you. And 
it's not recorded. He just sent in an article. And I kind of was like, well, do you have commentary? No, the article stands alone as weird. Okay. And I was just going to be quick about it and tell you the headline. But the more I read the article, the more this sounded like the beginning of a lot of sci-fi horror movies. Okay. So, so then I'm he just, found a gem. He found a gem. And it just feels very right for this year. Um, this is how we get zombies. Or this is how we get apes taking over the world. I feel. So at this point, either one might be an improvement. Zombie apes. Fine. Um, so this comes to us from NPR on January 22nd. And the headline is all 100 lab monkeys have been accounted for after several escape truck crash. And good. All the monkeys have been encountered for. Great. And there's a picture of the truck crash. Fine. Then I'm going to read it. Danville, Pennsylvania. The last of the escape monkeys from the crash of a truck towing a trailer load of 100 of the animals was accounted for by late Saturday, a day after the pickup collided with a dump truck on a Pennsylvania highway. Several monkeys had escaped following Friday's collision. Pennsylvania State Police said, but only one had remained unaccounted for as of Saturday morning, prompting the Pennsylvania Game Commission and other agencies to launch a search for it amid frigid weather. Kristen Nordland, a spokesperson with the Federal Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, said in an email Saturday evening that all 100 of the Cinemalogus macaw monkeys have been accounted for. The shipment of monkeys was en route to a CDC-approved quarantine facility. The Atlanta-based CDC said the agency was providing technical assistance to state police in Pennsylvania. And the location of the quarantine facility and the type of research for which the monkeys were apparently destined are not clear. And then they just go into a bunch of information about toxicology studies Earlier, police had urged people not to look for or capture any monkeys, with troopers tweeting, anyone who sees or locates the monkey is asked not to approach, attempt to catch, or come in contact with the monkey. Please call 911 immediately. That's literally from the outbreak script. Do you remember that movie? The Yeah. 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 I think that scene actually happens where they're like, don't touch the monkey. But this is what it looks like. Call us. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so this is clearly right. They're, they were going to a CDC facility to be quarantined and they all got out. They're accounted for now. They had to kill three of them. Something's going on. I say. Is indeed a weird thing. I. It's weird. My weird thing this week is, this is not the weird thing. This is just a statement of fact, much like, hello, it's 2022. I have very bad teeth. I often refer to them as my soft Irish teeth. Um, right now, currently I have three implants because my teeth are so bad, which is a lot of implants for someone my age. And I have to go to the dentist this very Saturday. So for those listening in the past, I'm doing time travel to get another implant. So I rack up my bad teeth to a lot of things. When I was very young, I took um, certain kind of steroids 
for my lungs that I later learned do really impact your teeth if you take them when you're young. Um, not having access to affordable dental care for my entire grad school period of time where I just didn't go to a dentist. Um, maybe genetics. But now, now I read an article recently. It is probably very much genetics and definitely not my fault. So I read a really fascinating article from 538.com called Why People Who Brush Still Get Cavities. And basically, dental health over the course of human history has changed with our diet. So, right, we know, especially like with agri agriculture, the diet has changed a lot. It's be it became more carbohydrate rich, all of that. So in the past decade or so, scientists sequenced the DNA from ancient dental plaque and figured out that something else in our mouths was changing at the same time as our dental health and our diets. It turns out that there are specific strains of bacteria that are more common in mouths with cavities. And as human diets change and cavities became more common, those bacteria started just taking over our mouths. And our modern community of oral bacteria are far, far, far less diverse than our ancestors were. And they're dominated by these cavity causing strains. I think about this a lot if I like, I'm having tooth pain and I'm like, I have an amazing electric toothbrush, great toothpaste. How did ancient people like live? And one of the answers might be they had better teeth because they had better bacteria in their teeth, in their mouths. So scientists are increasingly thinking that bad teeth and cavities are a microbiome problem. Like there's been all these breakthroughs, right? With gut health. They right. think that microbiome also exists in your mouth. Yeah, makes um, sense. Right? And that microbiome of your mouth is actually much more important than any actual oral hygiene you might do. That's more determinative. Now they're still saying brush your teeth, do all of that floss, do it. But that really how your teeth are going to be at the end is more determined by this microbiome than how often you brush or how well you brush your teeth. So and someone doing research into like, can we introduce particular back? Okay. Oh, oh, oh my jumping ahead. Oh, that's the, if, if you, I thought I saw the headline for this article and I was like, oh, microbiome for teeth. That's weird enough. What is weird is exactly that about how they're attempting to study this, what we can do with this knowledge. Um, basically, the first thing they learned is that you can take an animal that naturally develops cavities, any animal that will have natural cavities and feed it a high sugar diet and it will get cavities. And if you house it with animals that seem to be naturally resistant to cavities, those animals will then get cavities. So it doesn't work very well that people who have the good microbiome can give it to other people. It's more like this dentist said, cavities are a transmissible infectious disease. And is the that because, so you said earlier that the bacteria that we have lost biodiversity. So is yes. it, is it that it, it like, it takes over it's so it's yeah. not so much the bad kind is much more aggressive now 
if it is a microbiome problem, you've already beat me to the chase. Ages ago, ages ago, I talked about koala poop, right? Yeah, the, yeah. Mm-hmm. Koalas who only ate one kind of eucalyptus, they could get a poop transplant and then eat other kinds of eucalyptus. This has been done in humans too for gut biome problems. So transplanting the bacteria of a not cavity prone person to someone who's cavity prone isn't really an option because A, it's a very, very aggressive, the bad form is very aggressive and will colonize good microbiomes. And Rob Knight, director of the Center for Microbiome Innovation at the University of California, San Diego, said though, he was once approached by a dentist in Colorado who wanted his help with a study based on this very idea of a microbiome transplant of some sort. He had noticed that some of his patients tended to get cavities at very high rates, even if they had excellent, excellent oral hygiene. And there were patients who didn't do anything and never got cavities. So he was hoping to do an oral microbiota transplant. And that would be through transferring saliva from people who didn't get cavities to those who did. And here's my favorite part of this weirdness. The dentist proposed mechanism because he had a whole plan. We're not just going to spit into each other's mouths, Michelle. His plan was to hire attractive women with few cavities to kiss cavity-prone participants. Which is to say that never made it past an institutional review board. Right, right. Goodness. Also, but then wouldn't the cavity-resistant women end up with cavities based on what we know? Right, right. So even if the fact that kissing is probably not the most ethical method for transferring saliva, you are putting the, yeah, no, this is is an unethical study from top to bottom. Don't like it. And that's basically all I have to say about that, except I know we do like reading medical reports or um, academic journals and finding the funnest line. And this line from this article did tickle me. Um, There were more credible scientists who studied, can we have a spit swap, not just through kissing pretty ladies. And one of them said, you know, scientists simply don't know enough about the oral microbiome to guess whether a spit transplant would work, would work only temporarily or would make things worse. I just liked learning about the idea of spit transplants this week. But like you said, they could make things worse for everybody. A spit transplant. First, do no harm. Good. Second, do no kissing of patients. Third, if you're going to anyway, you don't define them by their attractiveness. Exactly. But I was very, I just have a lot of like personal interest in this because I think my oral hygiene is as good as my husband's and he has never had a cavity. And it is one of those things that we hold up as like a, like a, a moral, like failing or success, right? Like, right. oh, you cavities, you don't like, I'm in the, I'm in the no cavity club from like, yeah, you know, just it's a moral thing. And the dentist, when he goes to the dentist, they say, oh, your teeth are gorgeous. Everyone come look at his teeth. This has happened actually, where they've called people in to look at his mouth. And meanwhile, I'm getting called a meth head. So, yeah, but you know what, you know, what's interesting. We, I mean, I don't think it's, um, 
scandalous to say that I kissed my spouse and my teeth have not gotten better. So but have his gotten worse? No. no. Okay. Ooh. Little so interstellars. Yeah. This is not my weird thing, but you saying that, you know, like that we have we put this moral component to this thing reminded me of um and we I think we talked about this in not in this directive a way, but the idea that like when you sleep has some moral component to it, right? Like that if yeah. you are an early riser and early to bed, like that, I mean, I guess it's back to Ben Franklin, right? Like that, that makes you somehow more moral or a better worker than somebody who does the same amount of work with the same level of energy at just a different time in the day. And I was reading something today and it was just like, you know, a silly little meme, but it was based off of this research that, that throughout history, there've been some people who are more naturally inclined to rise early and some that are more naturally inclined to rise late so they can stay up because it is good evolutionarily for us to have people awake at all the different times of the day to protect us from, you know, bears. So like, I, yeah, I just, the things we assign moral judgment to don't make any sense a lot of the time. Most of, I would say almost most, almost most, almost, almost because the things we should assign moral judgment to, we just don't. So, (laughs) (laughs) okay. (laughs) (laughs) Editing out the next 30 minutes of podcast. And (laughs) speaking of staying up late, we will be recording this podcast until (laughs) 1am. All right. My actual weird thing is This was not originally going to be my weird thing, but I moved some stuff around because I saw this headline that the New York Times has been running lots and lots and lots of which apartment should I buy articles? Have you seen these? No, because it's like I have, you know, some ridiculous amount of money. I have five hundred thousand dollars to buy a one bedroom apartment or, you know, like whatever. Which one should I choose? Um, and then, you know, the comments all fill up with people who don't live in New York being like, what is, what is happening? And, um, and so I've read a few of those and they're, they're interesting. It's like this, it's, it's very interesting to me that something so different can be happening in the country that I live in too, right? Like, it's just so interesting to see. And so this headline really grabbed my attention. It is in, it's from today's New York time today for I guess because you all are not listening to it today, but today is time traveling again. Time traveling. So it is from Thursday, January 27th it's issue of the New York Times in the domestic lives section. And it is by Stephen Ruddy. And it is titled, Do I Really Need a Toilet? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I see what you mean by different. Okay. So I was like, well, yes, sir, you do. <laughs> why why is this an article and so I was like I have to know I have to know why this man is asking this question and so he's talking about how he has to find a new apartment for the first time in 17 years and he is trying to stay in lower Manhattan and that it is very very difficult but prices have dropped because the pandemic has um wreaked havoc on New York city. And so he's really hopeful that he's going to be able to get an apartment in lower Manhattan. And so he's been looking at places and he's just describing these awful, like 150 square foot studio on West fourth street. That's $2,000 a month where the person showing it to him was like, well, you can probably hang your winter coat in the building stairwell to save stairwell to save some space. Probably no one will steal it. And like, $2,000 
$2,000 a month and I can't fit my coat in my house. Like that feels like not right to me. Um, yeah. Like just, and so he goes through all of these like really terrible, terrible situations. And then he says, um, let me, he finds an amazing apartment, quote, on Carmine Street. Amazing is a relative term, of course. This apartment is raw. The designer loved stucco and the hardwood floors are painted a brutalist gray, but it is huge. A genuine two-bedroom with soaring ceilings, tremendous light, and unobstructed views of Greenwich Village, all for $1,995 a month. Now that I work from home, the extra space seems positively luxurious. I am ready to make an offer. The agent, who has described every closet as though he were seeing the Grand Canyon for the first time, <laughs> pulls me aside at the end of the tour. Did you notice anything about the bathroom? I'm intrigued by his sense of mystery. Was there a bidet I missed? A jacuzzi tub? no toilet. A less scrupulous agent wouldn't disclose this, but I'm leveling with you because that's the kind of agent I am. He is proud of himself. So yes, there is no toilet in this bathroom. And so most of this article is this man arguing with himself over whether he really needs a toilet. And wow. So there is a bathroom space. Is a bathroom. It has a tub. Okay. Has a sink. Okay. It does not have a toilet. Michelle, if you had a bathroom space and you could only have one thing, sink, bath, or toilet, which would you choose? Toilet. Toilet. <laughs> toilet. Absolutely toilet. I'll sneak into a gym and take a shower once right. a week. Right. The agent has the nerve to go. A lot of people actually prefer it this way. It's what? Cleaner. It's cleaner. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So there is. So you have to tell me what this man is weighing. Like, right. how how so how is there, he talking himself into no to no toilet? There is a single toilet stall in the hallway that everyone on that floor is supposed to share, but he does not know how many people that is or what the rules around it are. And there's not even a sink there. It's just literally a toilet in a stall. Um, and so there was, the, the building is over a century old and communal bathrooms were much more common. Like it was, yeah. that was how the buildings were built. And so he, as he's looking into this, he tries to research like, well, could I put in my own toilet? And no, you can't because, because of New York city code, you would have to put one on every floor to do it. Like, I don't I guess something about the plumbing. And um, so he, that's out. So then he finds there's like this alternative, like kind of toilet that can be hooked up to a normal I, I don't, I don't know enough about plumbing, but it would be illegal. He would have to like create some sort of illegal toilet system. <laughs> it's like stealing cable, but so much worse. Right. And then, I mean, he, he's like, okay, well, you know, like I could go to the coffee shop that's nearby or like, you know, can I, if the, if the toilet stall on my floor is occupied, am I allowed to use the toilet store stall on the floor below? And, um, so he says that like, you know, his friends were like, no, you, you can't do this, but some friends were in favor of it. Some of them were like, you know, Americans are too isolated and they don't seek out communal experiences. This could be great. Um, you really get to know your neighbors. <laughs> Like people share toilets with their families or roommates all the time. Colleges have 
uh, communal toilets. Like this is not that big of a deal. And, um, but some people were like, you know, I'm potty training a child right now. And I don't know that this is, this isn't probably not the greatest option for you. Like, like, could you yeah, imagine? That wouldn't, that absolutely would not work if you had, it's just him though, right? It's him alone. Just him alone. Cause I feel like if it's more than one person that makes the ease of it lower. If you have kids, no way. The fact that we're still in the middle of a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Like the safety of that has me a little concerned, but like, but that's the reason that's not that dangerous. I think is because it is not a communal thing. There's probably only one person in the toilet at a time. I'm assuming I would hope. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess the opportunity for community is while people are waiting in line, but it doesn't seem like a great, like, I'm not wanting to chat with you in that moment. I mean, during, during my PhD, when I lived in Manchester, I lived, I had a room with, um, oh, I think it was four. It was a big house, but it was four other students. The real, the landlord told me, oh, there's students like you, you'll love it. And then I found out they were all freshmen. I was getting my PhD. That's like a decade age difference. Right. right. And very different, like study habits and yeah. Yeah. But that had a shared restroom and it was very far away from my bedroom. There was only one restroom in that whole house and we all shared it and it was all the way up the stairs. I was on the downstairs floor and I mean, I did it. I did it, but this, uh, there's just something about like, I feel like once you're out of school and you're like an adult, like that kind of living, it just, I, I couldn't go back to that. Well, and he says he's hunting for an apartment the first time for 17 years. So, I mean, I guess I can't assume that his habits will remain the same, but it seems like you want something fairly permanent, right? Like this is not a transitory yeah. state, like living in the dorms would be. This is, I know we're talking about this for a while, but I am, this is like one of the most fascinating brain teasers I have heard. And I want to just delve into it for hours. I mean, A, we know, especially he's, a, you know, not to be again, oversharing or anything, or just, just think about genitals too much but he's peeing in that sink oh yeah he's peeing in that bathtub so that that's out of the way and I don't even fault him done so we're only talking about bowel movements and I guess he has to ask himself how much does that happen and how does he want to change his diet to impede it but I guess the the problem is is that sometimes it happens when you're not, you know, I mean, you know, like what if you get the stomach flu and you don't Ooh. have a toilet, like, Oh, you could get, <laughs> you and I have both had experiences of traveling and not wanting to go into public restrooms during the pandemic. We've both had experiences with luggable lose. There is, there is. And you can, you like, you fill them with kitty litter and you I mean, obviously there are times. It would be for an emergency. Yeah. You have your but emergency luggable loo. You want. But you could never have guests over really. Could I you? I mean, that's what one of the things in here was like, you know, like what if you brought a date home and then she's like, oh, I need to use your bathroom. And you're like, oh, sorry. I don't have a toilet. Like. It's out in the hall. It's not um, like there's no toilet. <laughs> So what it ultimately came down to is that he said no. And then two weeks later, he still hadn't found a place. He looked at 10 more. They were all terrible. So he checked it again. It was still available and the price had dropped. So he was thinking about it some more and looked at it two days later and it was under contract. So he had missed his chance. So someone is living in that toiletless apartment. It's so intriguing. 
I'm, I'm real. I've never been quite so thankful to, I complain sometimes that my house has only one bathroom. Mm-hmm. I feel like a king yep. Yep. on his throne. <laughs> <laughs> That's my weird thing. I think it's weird to ask if you need a toilet. I say, yes, I vote. Yes. You need a toilet. It's very weird. Like that's cultural, right? Like I, I obviously a century ago, people would have been like, oh, what kind of luxury are you living? And so like, I, I don't know, maybe I like, um, I, I mentioned this to you before we started recording, but my, my, I'm reading with my daughter, the Sapiens, um, graphic novel. And it's just talking so much about like how human life has changed, how human expectations have changed, how culture has changed. And I just, I guess I'm just a product of my time because I believe I want a toilet in my house, but I do understand (laughs) that. I guess that could change. Maybe this is how it changes. I don't know. I feel like there's some way to connect this to gut biomes. (laughs) Well, and infected monkeys. I feel like, I feel like we're good so far. Infections and cavities and poop. (laughs) This is. (laughs) Okay. 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 Shifting. Thank you. Thank you for giving me that. I'm going to ask everyone I meet now. That's my new question. Would you do that? That's a good, I could, t- I'm sorry. I'm going to edit this part out, Michelle, but I could talk about that forever. <laughs> you're, going to, you're going to separate the world into how people answer that question. Okay, so now we're doing pop culture. And my pop culture changed many times. There's been a lot happening in pop culture, I guess. I usually have problems with this one and apologize, but this week I had to put some a pop culture got pushed because I found a better one. I want to very briefly note though that I've talked about Eurovision and how much I love Eurovision here. And the winner of 2021 Eurovision is a band called Monaskeen, and they were from Italy. And I really loved the song they won with. I listened to it unironically. Last Saturday, two Saturdays ago, they were on SNL. Really? And I was just so thrilled. I was so thrilled that they, the winners of Eurovision from Italy, Monaskeen, were on SNL. But that's not my pop culture because I didn't really. It's just a bonus. Have, it's a bonus. Go watch it if you have Hulu. They are wonderful. Um, my pop culture has to do with the pop culture of the moment, which is Wordle. Oh my gosh, mine does too. I, is it the same thing? The same Let's thing. See. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, clearly we both play Wordle and... If you don't know, very, very quickly, I feel like everyone knows now, but Wordle is a game. It is not an app, which I feel like is important to say. It is free and it is, uh, you have to go to a web browser. It's a web browser based game and it's very simple and it's just a word guessing game. People love it. I won't say more than that. And a new game comes up every day. And you can play it once a day and that is it. And it's the same game for everyone. So they even have a way that you can show how you played without giving away the word because people want to share how they do. But 
if you screenshot it, you give it away and people will get very mad about spoilers. So the spoiler aspect is such a big thing. They built it in that you can say, here's how I did without spoiling it. It's important. So I read this week about Twitter suspending. Is this you? Did we finally do it? We finally did it. Wordle did it. (laughs) (laughs) I've been waiting for this moment for so long. For more than a year, forever, for 27 episodes. <laughs> we did it! <laughs> I'm so happy. Okay, I don't know why it's making me insanely happy. <laughs> okay. <sighs> okay, so we'll just both talk about it. Yeah. So basically, the article was Twitter suspends Wordle ruining bot in The Verge by Mitchell Clark. And it says Twitter has banned at Wordlinator was the account. And that was a bot that replied to people's Wordle posts. It was like being really mean. Yeah. Really mean. So a, a bot, you know, it's an automated thing. I have a Twitter bot. Twitter bots can be very fun. I um, fed my Vulcan Rosemary Chocolate, the artist, into a Twitter bot. And four times a day, it spits out sentences from the words from that book. Bots on Twitter are cool. This one is rude. Um, I'm going to give you an example, but you already know this example. Um, In the article, they had a screenshot from someone who shared their wordle for the day. And the bot said, guess what? People don't care about your mediocre linguistic escapades. To teach you a lesson, tomorrow's word is, I gave the word away. It's so mean. It's so mean because, so I actually, um, spoiler for my future work, I write a blog, I blog for a local mom's blog and um, I had for February, the, the poster I'll do at the end of the month prior to the month they watch. So I don't know when it's coming out in February, but sometime in February, I will have an article that is titled, you know, um, it's Wordle and the power of shared experiences. Because I just, I, I think that Wordle is such a beautiful little thing because it is, it is so simple and it is just once a day. It is, does not require a huge commitment of resources as far as time or as far as equipment. And it is, it's all this, the fact that it's the same word every day for everyone yeah. and that people go to such links to not spoil it for other people. And that we are all still like several days into this and still like liking each other's posts when it's just like, it just feels kind to me. Like it just feels nice to be like, oh, at some point today, these other people in the world who I don't get to see much right now, who I feel kind of disconnected from, we were doing the same thing. We were do we were trying to figure out the same word. We had the same shared experience. And like, we just, there aren't that many shared experiences anymore because I mean, not just because of the pandemic, but because we are so fragmented by being able to go into smaller and smaller niche interests that I don't have to like, we don't, we don't have to listen to the same music. We don't have to watch the same TV shows. We like, we are able to fragment out our lives to the point that we can talk to our own little fandoms, but we don't have to have this broad appeal across all of these different things but this 
this is doing that. And I don't, I don't, I don't feel like you have to participate, but the people who are like making fun of people who are participating or going so far as to create a Twitter bot to ruin that fun. Right. Like, I'm like, who hurt you? What's, what's wrong with you? Cause yeah, like you said, as, as wonderful as that moment is knowing so many people in the world are working towards the same goal. We're getting to that word and it's the same word. It is so demoralizing to know that someone then, and they went through the trouble, right? You can say, well, how, how were they spoiling the next word? Basically we're, it isn't as exciting as it may sound. The key in Wordle is apparently very, very, very accessible in the game's code. So it's actually, if anyone wanted really to figure out what the next day's word is, you just have to access the code, which is easily accessible and it's in it. And so much of it's just honors based that I like that, you know, people knew that and aren't doing it, but then someone made a bot to do it. And I do have a really, I'll link it in the show notes because I read another article that goes way into detail about reverse engineering how to find the next word. And it's just interesting. Yeah. I think something that is, since, since we both have the same. Let's just go. I can add a little bit. I, I found it interesting. The people who are like making memes and making posts about how they don't want to participate in Wordle are also very interesting to me because you, so they're like, I don't feel left out. Let me show you how unleft out I yeah. feel by posting this thing of me not feeling left out. And I'm like, you don't, you don't have to be left out. Like you, you are participating. You realize play the game, but this is also being part of it. You know, like, I, like, it's just, it's just a very strange phenomenon to me. And we were just talking about, and I, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm not up on a high horse. I'm not above being the, I don't want to do the thing everybody's doing, but we were just talking about this before we started recording that I just started watching Ted Lasso. And so <laughs> many people have told me, Oh my gosh, you, Michelle, you will love Ted Lasso. You need to watch it. Sounds like that does not it's like, like a soccer coach. And I'm, this is not, I don't, do you know me? This is not something I want to watch. And I started watching it and it is so good. And it is, and I'm like, oh, these people were so right. Like, why, why was I resistant just because it was popular? Like, that doesn't make sense. Like, I, so I don't know. Yeah, I've resisted it too, right? And now you have convinced me, but here's the difference, a difference. Neither of us, when we were resisting Ted Lasso, went out of our way to like, like spoil it for people, makes, make me memes about it well and I think it's really fascinating that so many I, I've also I've watched almost like a little conversion thing happen where people are like I don't I don't need to do this thing I don't need another people are, people are like but it's only once a day and it's really nice and like fine I'll try it and then like three days later you see their post you're like oh we brought one over to the full it feels like one of the nice parts in the Hank Green books yeah yeah so uh, the Hank Green books, I think, was one of my pop culture things in the past. Um, was the oh gosh, the titles are hard for my brain to remember because they're just a string of words. Yeah, An absolutely <laughs> remarkable thing. And um, what is this? Of uh, something endeavor. And and like it is about this sort of like what does it mean to be a human in this time period with social media and the constant need to like 
perform and but there are there are some moments that really look at the beauty of that connection and the simplicity of just being able to like share experiences with other people without having to be physically present with them or even really know them all that well and I think that this captures that in a way I just I can't be mad at that like I just I can't I and I feel like the people who are mad at it are sort of defining themselves as an outsider in a thing that does not have an outside. I mean, I'm not saying that nobody is excluded from Wordle. Like, obviously, some people don't have internet access or um, it, I don't, but it, I, it is in multiple languages. So there's, yeah. but but I, I'm not saying that it is pure, a complete pure thing that anyone can participate in. But the people who are making memes about it certainly can participate in it. So they are not... <laughs> being put into some sort of outsider status. And I, so I think it's about defining yourself as like, oh, I'm on the outside. I'm like, cause you, you chose to be, and you can be, but it, I don't know. At why the end don't. of the day, why? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's cold out there. I do also think it's, inter- it's just, it's an interesting story because a wordle is a fascinating phenomenon for the reasons you're saying it's nice it's just nice it's just nice but it also just made me interested in when twitter can suspend something mm-hmm. because i'm like well yeah it was nice of twitter to suspend that but what was the bot doing are we are like spoilers gonna get you suspended from Ooh. twitter but the reasoning the reasoning was that you can't um spam or bother people the word bother I think was the exact wording in like their terms of service for what will get you suspended. There's a lot of that bothers me. (laughs) Right. That's a very slippery slope. You can't bother. But I bet, I bet they mean bother in the sense of like seeking out someone to pester them. Right. Or to like, like, I bet it is not bother in the sense of like, Oh, I am bothered by that statement you made, but more like you you have come to me and are like, you're putting this in my house and I don't want you here. Yes. So yeah. Okay. Wordle. And we did it. And look, we, and what a fitting one where we're talking about how nice it is people working together. That's where our shared brains. Yep. So, okay. Moving on. Done. Moving research on. Thing. Next. My research thing. So I previously told you in our talk before the podcast that you're going to have a very smart research thing, I'm sure. And this is um, proudly, proudly my stupidest research thing. I think, I don't remember every research thing I've done. No, uh, I did have like a multi-part series on snowmen. That was not stupid. We solved the mystery. That is, we solved the mystery of eternal life. So actually, never mind. Um, So I found, I have no idea how I found this how this came into my life. This was from the History Channel, but the History Channel UK. So I somehow stumbled into a internet rabbit hole and I found an article called, The Law is an Ass, Eight Famous Trials from History. What is that about? I'm gonna tell you something really smart about the legal system, kind of. Animal trials, which are, totally a thing where the where the defendant is an animal yes are were most prevalent in the 14th to 16th century 
And they are, what is an animal trial? Michelle, you pretty much summed it up, but they were quote, serious official proceedings, some of which lasted months and featured respected lawyers on both sides who would enthrall the court with erudite arguments. Animal trials, that's what we're gonna look into. That's what we researched, I said animal trials. There was a wonderful, I'll link the article in the show notes, wonderful court sketch of a pig on trial. And spoilers, that's the animal that gets put on trial most. Pigs are very intelligent. I read this article and then I did more research. I didn't, and I'm not just going to repeat a history article to us here and now, because I needed to learn all about animal trials. And here's some highlights, just so you can get a real feel. What is an animal trial? What's happening? Um, some examples. So in the early 16th century, there was a very, very influential lawyer who later became a politician um, named Barthélemy de Chazeneuve. In the French town of Auton, he defended an unspecified number of rats, which had, having destroyed local barley crops, been summoned to court. So these rats came, ate all the grain, and everyone decided to just take them to court for eating the grain. It seems very civil. And basically, De Chesneau beguiled, that's the word that's used most, beguiled the tribunal with a series of successful pleas for adjournments, such as the rats are too old and sick to attend court, so it can't be a fair hearing. Or he said that because there were cats around, they were afraid to come to court. So he implored all of the townsfolk to keep their cats indoors as the presence of cats in the streets were preventing the attendance of his clients, the horde of rats. And no one in the town was willing to do that. And so the case was dismissed because he said they can't come to court because of cats. Were the rats captured in some way that would have made it possible to bring them to court? Or was this all like some elaborate ruse? This is what I, I did so much research and I did have trouble figuring that out. Um, We'll get into more detail about like hordes of rats and swarms of insects and how they were dealt with. But often when it was a single animal, they would, that animal had to be at court. He said his rat clients couldn't come to court because they were afraid, but I don't know if they were like sitting somewhere or how he planned to bring them. Clearly he never planned to bring them to court, but That was my biggest question for animal trials was, I had a lot of questions, but it was like, yeah, who controls the animals and gets them in place? Is it their lawyer? And then like, most of the times the animals were just sentenced to death. That's easy. I mean, sometimes they weren't. And I'm like, well, then how do you enforce that? What were they sentenced to instead? Well, okay, let's get into it. This is, this one. This one isn't that, but we'll get to it. So just more examples. Um, In 1474 in Basel, Switzerland, a rooster was burned at the stake for the crime of laying an egg. Yeah, they burned him in a huge ceremonious occasion that drew a large crowd. Um, In 1519, the Alpine community of Selvio 
again, most of this is like animals herding crops, animals eating things that are not theirs. So um, this community was so blighted from mice that they brought the mice to court again. That happens a lot. And um, Hans Gripner was appointed to defend them. Basically, he was a really good lawyer. And Gribner suggested to the court, so these rats were accused of coming into the town, ruining all the agriculture, eating everything. And he said that actually their scurrying around and digging up the soil was good for the soil. And he was so persuasive that he won that case. So was there, I mean, I can't imagine that there was laws against killing rats on your own, right? Like right. you have to bring them to trial to. So this idea, that's the thing, right? If the rats come in, you would think, well, they would kill them because they could do that. Why, why bring them to court? I'm so interested in that. And I'm well, trying, I kept researching. I- I just want to know how sincere people were. Like, was this like a symbolic kind of, because, okay. So when you first said this, when you first said, oh, they're bringing animals to court and you said the time period, I was like, this has to be witchcraft stuff, right? Like it has to be them like seeking out like witches. Like the rooster was definitely a witchcraft thing where they're like that rooster laid an egg and that definitely people were like, well, the devil did it. Yeah. And there are examples um, where they said, oh, this happened because this animal is possessed by the devil. And I'm sometimes, yeah, I'm not going to say that makes sense to me in (laughs) in the sense that like I would do that, but like, I can understand how the cultural norms surrounding satanic influence and witchcraft could make people behave in that way. Cause obviously it made people do some really terrible things. And so I could understand how putting an animal on trial might be within the realm of things that they could convince themselves made sense. But for these, like, for these, like, oh, these rats ate our f- crops and now we're going to put them on trial. Like, I'm just, I'm trying to just understand, like, what the attitude and motivation was. Like, was it, was this, like, almost a symbolic, like, I don't want to say Wouldn't it be interesting? Not a joke, right? But, like, almost like theories of the carnivalesque where you just have to get something out. Exactly. In a exactly. public, yes. yeah. official public ceremony time for your grievances. We're like... Yeah, if you're gonna, it it mattered a lot more to you, much like, you know, now our toilets matter more to us. If a whole crop system failed in a town, you're gonna be in a lot more trouble in the 1500s, right? Than you would be today. And it's a huge loss. It's a huge loss. And so there needs to be some kind of, I guess, ceremony, public, some official airing of your grievance to say, this isn't right we're upset about it. There has to be someone to blame. Well, and as you mentioned, like this is a time when some of these concepts of justice were fairly nascent, right? Like, and so maybe it's about trying to kind of speak into the world, the sort of justice power you want. Yeah. Yeah. And there were elements of carnivalesque things. So again, like I said, pigs get put on trial a lot. I found in my research at least a dozen instances of pig trials. And do you want to guess what 90% of the pig trials were for? It's dark. But attacking, attacking or killing children. Um, no, I that makes sense. I I grew, I mean, we both had pigs. 
they yeah they be very cruel like they, they're not nice yeah. creatures all the time has anyone seen the wizard of oz dorothy falls into a pig pen at the beginning it's a very oh, scary right. scene it's very scary my mom told me a story once the first time i saw that that, that happened to her almost it's horrific pigs are scary so yeah 90 percent of these trials were pigs attacking kids and i can understand why you would want a trial in that case because the grief would be so large that like maybe just killing the pig didn't feel like it it didn't feel yeah. like justice right like you needed people to hear this harm and you needed people to hear how wrong it was like i can i can kind of understand the yeah right like we said there it's a huge loss and you need you need something for that you need to be heard you need to be you need it to be seen in a bigger way in a more official way than going and killing a pig yeah so one of those times the pig was brought to court like wearing men's clothes so that was more there there are instances where you can see it's kind of jokey but then there was another time where it was a litter of young pigs had hurt a child and in the court they decided that because the pigs were so young they couldn't be held accountable and so they killed the pig's mother instead yeah And I think, like you said, some of this is working out what is justice in, in, in really weird ways on pigs. So you might ask, Michelle, follow-up question, are insects put on trial? The answer is yes, they are. Often, again, mainly insects are put on trial for hurting property, eating crops, destroying agriculture. Um, most of the time, though, unlike with rats where they're like, kill them, Really, they they never sentenced insects to death. Is it instead so such short lives that they're already dead by the time the trial ends? All right. Again, how do you collect them? Right. Instead, most of the time I found they would banish them. If the if the bugs, the insects were found guilty, the punishment would be banishment. So that does and they, like, almost like a symbolic like incantation, right? Like I because I banish all kinds of things this year, but <laughs> still here. <laughs> you need to take it to court. I think that's the answer. Well, we take COVID to court and we burn it. I so so some other interesting things I learned because I didn't. I I did research. I found articles on JSTOR um, and Cabinet Magazine had a whole article on this that I'll link to because I love. I don't know if you've read Cabinet Magazine. It's one of my favorite. It's really in between like academic journal and entertainment art. I really like that John, like that area, that zone. So yeah. It was one of my life's goals to be published in cabinet and then they stopped printing. So it's not gonna happen, but I can read about animal trials in it online and more fun facts. There were two kinds of animal trials. So individual creatures like the pigs, or the rooster that was a secular suit they considered that and groups of vermin the swarms of insects the rats those were ecclesiastic cases and they were tried very differently and this goes kind of to religion because domesticated animals 
individual creatures, tended to be tried in secular courts, but vermin and insects were tried in ecclesiastical courts. And that's because the former were considered to be under human control while the latter needed supernatural intervention like to bring them God, to justice. Like a tornado yeah. or hurricane kind of, yeah. Yeah, which but is I probably mean, where they banished them instead too. Yeah, like when we can't put a hurricane on trial or did they? Maybe, I don't know. Have they been put I mean, maybe that'll be, trial? maybe that'll have to be my research next week. Oh, but <laughs> that does link perfectly, perfectly um, to what I want to end on. Actually, I was going to be like, well, we'll put the weather on trial. I'll try to find that. This kind of links. I do want to say, because I did, I did my research. The earliest known reference to an animal trial was discovered in something called the Annalis Ecclesiastes Francorum. And it noted the prosecution of moles in 1824. So speaking of putting the weather on trial, and to just link it into something I already taught all the time when I teach photography or the, like the history of technology in art class um, to discuss how the kind of the concept of how we can or cannot believe photographs or what is the history of truth telling in photography. Um, one of my favorite, favorite stories is not too long after the invention of the photograph a court used a photo as evidence. And it was one of the first times, at least in America, this is an American case, and it's called the Howland Will case. And the plaintiff successfully used photographically copied specimens of a signature as the foundation of the case. And the defense attorney demanded to know how a photograph could serve as evidence at all, and was very upset about that. And in his concluding summary statement, he like dangled a photograph in front of the jury and exclaimed, this is nothing but hearsay of the sun. Ooh, hearsay of the sun. Hearsay of the sun. Res ipsa locator. That's how he ended, which in legal speak is the principle that is there, the occurrence. Like, has somebody taken that to like make a book title? Because I feel like it needs to be hearsay <gasps> of the sun. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. No, hearsay of the sun. It's when it's so evocative because right. And it, it's such a good thing for teaching, especially when I try to teach the difference between digital photography and film photography, because it, they are very different. And one of the ways they're different is how they capture an indexical trace of you. It is cool because it's some kind of like murder mystery thriller with Polaroid. I, oh yeah. I could feel like we could. let's yeah. Let's workshop this hearsay <laughs> of the sun. So my research thing is um, so I run a business where I sell online classes and I have, and I'm, I'm very public about this fact. So I'm comfortable talking about it here. I have always struggled with pricing for these online classes because I just, I mean, I feel like ideally education would not be a capitalist commodity, but here we are. So, mm-hmm. um, I, I, you know, like I put a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of work into these classes and I need to make money to pay the babysitter who's watching my kids while I do it and eat and 
things like that. And Maintain so I, your, your multi-toilet lifestyle, my multi-toilet, I have to support having a toilet on each floor of my house, which I know is filled with luxury. Um, yeah. so, <laughs> and, and like, I, I, I have no problem when, when I, I mean, I homeschool my own kids and I buy classes. Like I want to pay for that work from other teachers, but I also, I just, I, I don't want to create a classroom that is exclusionary, not only because I think it is wrong to exclude students who are seeking that opportunity, but also because I think that classrooms are worse for it because I think that, um, diversity of perspective comes from that kind of financial accessibility and that that makes the classroom better for everyone in it. And so I've just been kind of really brainstorming like how, well, and, and I keep seeing all these posts about like, we don't need to go back to normal. We need to go some, go back to something better, right? Like this is our, yeah. this, the, the systems that have been broken down by the pandemic, this is a chance to rebuild them in a different way. And I've been feeling really inspired by that. And I was like, okay, well, how could I be part of that? How could I be part of rebuilding a system in a different way? And so I was talking to um, some friends who do a lot of social, social justice work, and they sent me some articles about people who use sliding fee scales. And so they were like, you know, this is this is something that's happening in a lot of, I mean, you know, I wouldn't say it's happening in a lot of mainstream spaces, but a lot of spaces where people have this sort of ethos of um, questioning capitalist definitions of success and trying to build community that, that a lot of them are moving to this sliding fee scale metric where it is basically there's a price in the middle that is sort of the standard market rate. And then there's a price slightly above that, that you could pay a little extra if you wanted to help kind of build more for the community. You could pay a little bit under if you cannot afford the market rate, or if that would be a burden, an, an, an undue burden to you. And then there's like a highest tier that is like quite a bit above, and then a lower tier that is quite a bit below so that you have this potential to balance out um, and so I'm really interested in trying to enact that model, but I was trying to do some more reading about it. And I found an article that was like the problem with sliding fee scales. And I was like, oh yes, of course there must be a problem. And so um, I was reading it and this, I don't, I want to be careful about how I present this. And this is why I'm not, I'm not linking to this specific article I read because I don't want it to feel like I'm just trashing what they're saying, because I think that there is a grain of truth in the middle of it. But then they were using this grain of truth to sell a product that was supposed to solve the problem that they had set up. And it just kind of, it just didn't seem right to me. Like it, it, it was missing a yeah. step somewhere for me. But their, their argument was, was that like, if you call these things like, you know, tier one, tier two, tier three, tier four, tier five, that you are enforcing a hierarchy and you are asking people to perform a kind of, like a, one of my biggest problems with most of the other solutions that have been suggested to me for this, like, oh, we'll just give scholarships. And I'm not against giving scholarships. In fact, that is part of my upcoming plan. But I do feel like if you're constantly asking somebody to perform some kind of need that it, it I, I just don't think it is as accessible as it could be, right? It's not as accessible as just like, here are the price options, pick the one that works for you. And right. so, um, but they were like, well, but if you, if you, anything that you label, it's going to create a hierarchy. And I'm like, okay, like I understand what you're saying. And so their system was mostly about relabeling those things so that it wasn't like numbered. But it, I'm like, so my research thing is not but still so if much you... a research thing. It's just kind of, I wanted to have a discussion about, can you have a list of things that 
have some sort of numerical relationship to one another that is not a hierarchy, no matter what you call them? I feel like my, my immediate answer is no. Abs- no. Because <laughs> Dr. Seuss was right when he wrote Star-Bellied Sneetches. That we will always be like, well, I'm on this side and you're on that. Yeah. They were making a suggestion and I'm, I, I don't remember their exact terms, but like that basically you call the one in the middle that I would call like, you know, the market rate or whatever that you're calling this. Do you want to, that they're, they were framing it as you, you choose based on your actions instead of your level. So it's like, do you want to participate or do you want to grow or do you want to you know like but I'm like how is that I mean isn't that still hierarchical isn't growing more than and so because I I was like well what if you use like a metaphor right and you were like well do you want to plant a seed or do you want to grow a tree or do you want and I'm like but that just feels hierarchical and cheesy right like I like I don't feel like that confusing because I immediately think well these are different products yeah yeah growing seems very different than participating and then you think I'm not getting as much yeah you which then becomes hierarchical well and like because as I'm trying to figure like the hardest part of this for me is figuring out how to communicate it in a way that doesn't make people feel put off right because I I just very clearly want people to know, like, just pick the price point that you feel like is a, a price point at which your family can participate. And I'm not going to ask you any, I'm not going to ask you to like provide any financial information to back that up. I'm not going to question. I'm not going to, no one else will know at what level you participated. At. That's like, already, I feel so important to not ask people to perform that status and to constantly prove that, prove that, prove that that's already even if you were calling it good people, bad, well, that bad. But then, yeah, that's um, almost as much of a head scratcher as the toilet, which is how would you do that? Yeah, I mean, like I was like, well, I could give them color names, but as you just said, like obviously like silver, silver, gold, bronze has associations with it. And if I just randomly assigned some colors, like I could take the, you know, color palette from some um, like web design tool or whatever and just randomly assign them. But then wouldn't people just, create their own hierarchy of it like if it was just like blue well, would yellow separate. orange silver like when people go like oh well blue's the best and silver like I, I just feel like it would happen no matter what you called them yeah and if I feel like it's kind of a a sliding scale of the more direct you are that the names correlate with it so the most expensive one is gold right that end of the spectrum to the you're a tree or a bird or a seed and it's less hierarchical even though it still is if you are finding ways to take it away from the direct one it just gets really confusing yeah yeah so you're either being hierarchical to the max or you're confusing your customer and i think at the end of the day if they're doing business with you they want to have it be clear have the business be clear. What I am leaning towards naming them is just literally market rate, market rate plus 20%, market rate minus 20%, market rate plus 50%, market rate minus 50%. Like that's being so clear. Exactly. You're just saying exactly what it is. Like, do you want to know how I got to this number? This is the calculation I did. There it is. Yeah. That's no, I, I, 
I didn't realize when we were talking that wasn't already what you were absolutely calling it. So yes, absolutely. Market rate, that's what that is. You pay this much, 20%. That's brilliant. But I, I think mean, I that like- is clear and not as hierarchical as some of those. I feel like, yeah, I mean, it's not as hierarchical as like top tier, bottom tier or level A, level D or whatever, you know, like. Um, it almost though inverts it because we talk about what's moralized or not moralized. Getting a deal, saving money is morally true. good. And you're making it sound like I'm I'm paying 20% under. I'm saving 20%. Um, I know that's not what you're going for, but it almost is like there's no take, moral failing. Because one of the things I'm afraid of is that, because um, I've talked about this with, with people, and like, well, you know, like even when I qualify for the lower tier based on like, cause a lot of the, a lot of the places that are doing this will say like, well, how should you decide what to pay? Here's a chart. If you are somebody who, you know, has a stable income and has money in savings and could afford an, a medical emergency right now without being panicked, then maybe consider donating at the high, or like maybe consider going one tier up. If you are somebody who is like just okay and living you know, like, like you have a little bit in savings, but a medical emergency might be destructive to you or, you know, like then maybe just pick the middle one. And if you are somebody like they, they kind of like define it out. Um, and a lot of, I've, I've talked to multiple people now who were like, well, even though technically I'm in this lower tier, like I would feel guilty for not paying the full rate. So I would probably pay at least the, and, and so part of the participation of this is taking away the stigma of choosing the price point at which you can comfortably participate. And, and yeah. one of the things that I really, really want to be able to communicate that I'm not quite sure how to do it yet, other than just to keep doing it, is that having people, having students in those classes who would not normally be able to participate is an added value to the class as a whole. Like, this is not charity. This is about making sure that our educational environments are more representative of the world that we live in because that makes them better educational environments. Like, I, I, that space needs to be diverse in many different ways in order to be a good educational space. So like, it is not a one-way street. Like, this is a, this is a multi-factor benefit. And I, just I hope that we can move toward creating more systems that that place value on things in different ways. Oh, yes. I was, was listening a- to you. I, I know just a million emotions flashed across my face because that made me so excited. I've been down in the dumps and Michelle, you always make me hopeful. And that, yes, there are systems we are in direct control of, even if they're teeny that we can think about more and can be very helpful. And that is true. And what you just said really moved me and that, and thinking about moving in that direction that we need, we need those spaces to just have more diversity in every level. And then I just remembered that like, basically, I, I don't remember the exact terms, but aren't they right now? Like in courts are challenging, like, various admissions to university standards that are just going to absolutely gut diversity at universities. That's why I had a million emotions flash on my face because I was getting behind you and I was so excited. And then I just realized that on a different systemic levels, there are huge rollbacks being well, done. And I mean, I, 
I, I am, I don't know. I don't know what the future holds for us. And maybe some of these large institutional powerhouses will get it together and provide us a more secure future than they are giving us right now. But they should want to do it without laws in place. But of course, of course, that's not the case, right? Well, that's not. And it seems to me the like case. these institutions are kind of falling apart in general right now. Absolutely. Right? I was just about to go there that you said it's added value to you because it is an added value, which means that if these laws are ro- ro- rolled back, these systems in place to increase diversity or just not in, just to allow it to happen in any small form are rolled back, that will hurt the institutions. It will. It will hurt them and they will. And it's going <gasps> to hurt them. Pre-connection. 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 Cavities. Grant, Grant needs to make us a pre-connection music. Yes. Pre-connection alert. Pre-connection alert. Cavities, cavities, our mouths were more diverse with all the microbiomes and the less diverse they become, the more cavities we get. And so unless we take action now, we're going to have cavities in society because it's just going to be one kind of biome. So I'm sorry that I hijacked that with my face. No, no, I am. Yeah, I feel like that. I mean, I could say more about this because it's something I'm thinking about a lot right now, but I feel like that's a, that's, that's where I'm at for our research thing. We're probably, we can, we can start wrapping up, trying to make these connections now. I just, okay. This is like the toilet thing where I can't get off it. Oh, that was not the right, (laughs) (laughs) not the right language, but, um, I just want to think through it. Like, how would you, I just feel like even if you made something that no one could say is any better than the others, people would just start thinking of themselves and they were like, I'm a blue. And that means something. I do also think speaking of like university things, whenever you go to a conference or you have to enroll in membership to an institution, I'm thinking about they have sliding scales more often than not. It's always really expensive at every level. But the sliding scales are generally, I'm thinking about how do they describe them? And I've never felt, except for how it is overpriced, like offended or put in hierarchies. And I think it's successful in that way because they just say what it is. Yeah. Just say what it is. So, you know, the tiers are, I'm a tenured professor or I'm a student or I'm, you know, an unemployed independent academic right now. I'm not institutionally affiliated. I'm an adjunct. And it was just, what are, what do you do? What is your work? That's what you're paying. Of course, that's a hierarchy within the system, right? Like it doesn't, right? Like, yeah. (laughs) I mean, that is, it's saying what it is. And no, absolutely. The hierarchy of that. Oh my God. And we've railed about adjuncting systems and. Should we recap? So for weird things we had from Benton, thank you, Benton, the truck crash that led to 
hundreds of escaped macaws who have all been accounted for. Don't worry. You're not going to get zombie monkeys for sure. And then my weird thing was the microbiomes of your teeth, that dental hygiene has less, oral hygiene has less than we thought to do with cavities. And my weird thing was there was a man who wrote a New York Times article about truly deeply considering renting a $2,000 a month apartment without a toilet. And then pop culture. Pop culture. Pop culture. We melded for the first time and picked Let's the same say it. thing. So should we try to say what it was together? Yeah, it's going to be an absolute mess. One, Word, two, two oh, oh, oh. one, three, two, three. Wordlebot oh. Twitter. <laughs> that was a mess. <laughs> we couldn't even count. <laughs> this, is, this is why we'll never have the same thing again. Enjoy this. Just, I'm gonna. I'm just sitting in it, basking. Thank you, Wordle, and no thank you to the Twitter bot. Mean, right. but you did bring us together in your unkindness. And then my research thing was animal trials, and my research thing was sliding fee scales, specifically the hierarchy of naming them. Okay. Okay. So for a while we thought infection was good. But well, your pre-connection, I think, is a really good starting off place, right? Like the the diversity, you're stronger with diversity. When you remove the diversity, it weakens things. That definitely fits with the sliding fee scale. Um it fits with the mouse. Fits with the oh, mouse. can we fit it? Let's try to fit it to the toilet. So I do wonder, because it's about a diversity of perspective, right? Like at different parts in our culture, we have had different standards of what like, so, okay. I am reading um, the, the Eagle Huntress. Have you, this is for the middle school book club I'm leading. Um, her name is Aishel Pan. She's the third, she at the time was 13 and she's um Kazakh living in Mongolia and she is part of a nomadic culture. Like she still lives a semi-nomadic life. Her family has have been nomads for centuries. And um, this is a like the this novel or this memoir is her kind of telling this story about what it means to be like a representative of her culture and how all of these tourists are coming in um, to and like spending money to live with them to, because like, you know, they, the way that they live is that they basically um, they have these like transportable houses that they call the gur and they, and they move them around for different parts of the season and they herd their animals and they hunt with eagles. And she's talking about these tourists is like, Hey, they helped us maintain this way of life because it's been really hard as more and more cultural influences have tried to remove this way of life that these tourists coming in and paying this money to stay with us have, have provided for my family. Um, and, but there's also kind of this undertone of like, why do they think my life is so weird? Like, this is just what life is. Right. Mm, and then yeah. like, here they are talking about things that I think are real weird, including like toothbrushes and toothpaste for a connection there. Like, she's like, we don't do Ooh. that. Um, all that to say that the Eagle Huntress is demonstrating that like there are different ways to live life in a and even within the block that I'm living on 
people are living very different lives. And each of us are just thinking that that is the normal, the standard life, right? right? And I think that there's something about that diversity that is that is represented in this kind of flashpoint moment of like, well, could you live without a toilet? And we're like, what? But of course, like people have lived without toilets yeah, throughout human history. And to this day, there are plenty of people who live without their own individual toilet yeah. available. That to them. building is a testament to that the way it's built with the shared communal bathroom. Okay. So, so we have diversity. I, cause I want this to be our message. I'm going to cram it in. Cause I think it's a very good way to start the new year, which is diversity makes everything better, stronger, stronger, stronger. I'm going to buy that for the toilet then. Cause we need to have, if we all had toilets, in our house tomorrow what would that world be somebody somebody can take our title hearsay of the sun and someone can write a speculative fiction novel in which everyone in the world has one toilet how does the world change because it would it absolutely would right probably not for maybe better worse different would be different i mean because you would have to think about like well what resources would have to be available both in in terms of structural resources to house all of those toilets and then like water resources because there's places in the world where like just the water to run a toilet is not available right um so does that mean the world is better because those resources are then available or does that mean that the world is worse because those resources are being stretched more thinly that's for whoever steals this idea to decide go go right someone so stronger with diversity, then we have the monkey escape, which oh, can we let's come back to the monkey escape? Okay, I feel like that's going to be the hardest one to fit. I do into think anything. it's going to be the hardest one, and I also think that the wordle situation is going to throw a curve into our current. <sighs> Because it's not about diversity. It's about coming together around a singular shared experience. Yes, that's what we liked about it. Yeah. And we said we didn't understand those people who were different on the outside. And and so, I mean, I think that it is, I mean, it is sort of picking up the tension between, like, you do want a diversity in perspectives, but also some, there's something very human about having a very shared, narrowed, narrow experience that you can come, you can coalesce around, right? Is that experience only beautiful because so many different people are doing it? I mean, I, that's what makes it beautiful to me is that people- Yeah, that's why we like it. It's not just all my friends are doing it. It's everyone- not everyone, but so many people. Right, people I don't agree with politically. People who I otherwise and never know what they're talking about because we don't share any of the same references or jokes or you know like I. But in this moment, we are sharing something, and I think that that yeah. So there is sort of a diversity. So it can work from both ends. That if that diversity comes together in a singular goal, it makes that experience more beautiful, a stronger experience. Yeah. And I mean, this reminds me of like in rhetoric, there's the the discussion of like discourse communities, but discourse communities are not fixed, right? They, they, they coalesce around a particular moment and then they dissipate and they come together when there is. So like the idea that there could be so many voices coming around one particular thing is really 
beautiful. And I think that, yeah. that that is what I like about Wordle is that we all have come to the table, but only for a moment. Like we're not promising to always agree. We're not promising to always like the same things, but we just, for this moment, here we are sharing this thing. And then we're going to go back to our many disparate ways, but for this moment we're together. Almost like a swarm of insects alighting across a field in one moment and destroying all the crops and being put on trial and then banished and then banished banished so i think the animal trials definitely fits the um kind of a diversity of voices i think it's, it's about like you said, it's working towards justice and who gets justice and how the question is do animal trials and that specific diversity if we're going to call it that um, it, but it does, I mean, it room. certainly requires people to come together around a shared experience and to kind of agree to put aside the obvious ridiculousness of it, to take it seriously enough to let it do whatever work they think it needs to be doing. Right. Like they're, yeah. Instead of just, just, yeah. Instead of just destroying an animal on the street. So like they did for the monkeys because three of them were euthanized without a trial yeah yeah they they that story we didn't like we felt that story was kind of threatening we felt that story might not end well and they didn't let anyone touch the monkeys they didn't let those monkeys go out into the world and create a diverse community amongst humans and macaws and zombies and zombies and that's our loss. The world will be weaker for it. <laughs> There's another speculative fiction idea. We are just like we would throw it about would, The world would have been saved by zombie monkeys if not for the CDC cracking down on them so fast. This is are we satisfied with that one fitting in? I am. I, I, <laughs> but what is the what is the you open the, the fortune okay, you cookie? You open no, this one's easy. Okay. You open the fortune cookie, and through diversity, we are not through diversity. That makes it sound like adversity. Shit. Um, you open the fortune cookie, and just something like diversity makes us stronger. Diversity makes us stronger. You don't feel very satisfied by that as you say it's it out loud not i mean i believe that sentiment but maybe that's not the way a fortune cookie would frame it that's what we want to say do you have a better phrasing no 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 i'm just trying to i'm just thinking it like it's almost like a like a prism like many perspectives can like we keep doing this yeah we keep doing this symbol that none of you can see we are bringing many rays of thought together into a single point multiple times <laughs> we are beautiful like a rainbow um I, I will buy diversity makes us stronger. You just didn't sound very. I wasn't. 
Yeah. I wasn't, um, I just feel like usually it goes click, 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 bam. Click, 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 bam. And this kind of felt like crunch, click, click. <laughs> but I mean, hey, we've been gone for a while. Yeah, this we're rusty. Doesn't... We're rusty. We're trying. So, I mean, it could be something like strength and diversity. No, no, it's all going to be the same words in some order. We've decided. Diversity, strength, in. No. Um. It's three fortune cookies that say strength, diversity. And then the last one says brush your teeth or don't. It doesn't matter. We all die in the end. <laughs> the cavities and the cavities and the not cavities. Death comes for us all. Oh, back to that. Death. Oh, no. Death comes for us all. It's the, it's the- every spoiler, every fortune cookie of 2022 for us will be death comes death for us all. <laughs> Um, I think we probably should leave it at strength. Diversity makes us stronger. Diversity makes us stronger. Okay. It's a good, we, we said we were going to start out with simple ones and get more and more complex as we went. And right. Right. The first Very one simple of the year. Okay. Diversity makes us stronger. Yes. There you go. I'm happy with it. I I'll accept. Thank you, Michelle. <laughs> and thank all of you. This was, this was one for the books, new theme song grab bag right off the bat and we had the same yeah. thing yep we'll be back Exciting. in two weeks see you all then send us your grab bags send us your grab bags you don't take you can use the time you would use brushing your teeth because it doesn't matter it doesn't matter <laughs> <laughs> goodbye goodbye